so much for tuning in and welcome everyone i hope you're well i'm your host ben lively and you're listening to shake and awake episode number 40 i just wanted to thank you for tuning in wherever you are and whatever you're doing right this very moment and as always i promise you another great show but more than anything my hope for you today and always is that you have an actual encounter with the Lord. He's always right there beside us. And if you find any value in these episodes, the greatest thank you of all is to uh, to pass the word to at least one person you know to help spread the show to others that you feel uh, could, could benefit. So uh, without further delay, uh, let's get ready to invite God in with us right here, right now. And allow him to speak directly to our hearts and minds. So today's topic is, does Jesus really know you or will he one day tell you to depart from me? You know, hell, it's a very frightening thought. You know, it wasn't until I realized who God was that I really understood the true suffering of hell or the bliss of heaven for that matter. It wasn't the pain and torment of hell and it wasn't the beauty and perfection of heaven that made each eternal home so incredible. It came down to the mere fact that one is in eternity with the Father while the other one is in eternity without the Father. And that is the worst part of hell or the best part of heaven. And the other facts about each are just a result of being with the Father or being removed from his presence. So what, it, what intrigued me was the first time that I heard Matthew 7, uh, 23. It was something, uh, sometime in, in uh, 2019, the first time I ever read through the Bible all the way through, or really even read it for that matter. Um, now why did I never hear this in church growing up? I'll never know. You know, and it reads, uh, Jesus said, and he's speaking to his disciples. Jesus said, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. But even a few verses prior brought the further confusion and it brought me just even more uncomfortableness, which it says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father who's in heaven. uh, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, uh, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons? And in your name, perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So I want to break this down uh, first, just a bit. Now, one of those verses, I've already made an entire podcast around. And I highly recommend uh, recommend you listen to it if you haven't already. But it goes over the what, as the what is the will of the Father. I remember reading uh, Matthew 7 and just being blown away at the fact that, at least to me, this confused me when lining it up with John John 3.16. Arguably the most popular and well-known Bible verse of all, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, Matthew 7 then describes the people who come face to face with Jesus as we all will one day, as you will one day, and soon. And they go as far as to not only have believed in him, 
but also prophesied in his name, performed miracles, etc. How could this be? You know, furthermore, how could Jesus say, I never knew you? He knows everyone. I had believed anyway. And just as confusing to me, how come the people who not only believed in him, but went as far as what most people, at least that I know, don't even do? Prophesy, cast out demons, perform miracles. Why would they be the ones to be cast out into outer darkness and for Jesus not to have known them? But they claim to have known him. You know, it's not an easy set of questions, nor is it my job or ability to give you a full understanding. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Today, I'm going to attempt at relaying what I've been given uh, in wisdom and knowledge on this very topic. And I hope it resonates or puts a pebble in your shoe to seek this out further with Jesus. Okay. So Jesus said, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers, Matthew 7, 23. So it seems strange to hear our all-knowing Lord say that there's something or someone he doesn't know. You know, Jesus refers not to an intellectual knowledge here, but to a relational or uh, in, interpersonal knowledge. To understand a verse, we, we also need to start with the context, right? So Jesus is wrapping up his Sermon on the Mount with a final warning about true faith. And Jesus predicts that false uh, Christian prophets will be coming as wolves in sheep's clothing. That's Matthew 7, 15. It says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but in inwardly are ravenous wolves. They may use the right God talk and even make impressive uh, displays of power, but they all will not belong to the Lord. So not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles and I will tell them plainly I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. So in Jesus's words on judgment day, we see several important truths. It's not a verbal claim that one follows Jesus that saves. Right? Uh, so Matthew 7, 21, not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of the Father which is in heaven. So nominal Christian, uh, Christianity cannot save. Nominal Christians are churchgoers or, or otherwise uh, uh, religious people whose quote-unquote faith doesn't go beyond being identified with a church, a Christian group or, or a denomination. They're Christians in name, in name only. You know, Christ has no bearing in their lives. That was me my whole life. Nominal Christians may attend church and Christian functions, and, and, and they might even self-identify as Christians. Most do. But it's just a label. They view religion primarily as a kind of a, a, a social construct, and they don't allow it to require much of them in terms of morality or responsibility. So nominalists take a minimalist approach to their faith. Also, it's not a demonstration of spiritual insight or power that saves, as in verse 22. So a person can seem like a Christian in the eyes of other people, yet still be an quote-unquote evildoer in God's uh, sight and sent away from his presence, as we see in verse 23. So only those who do the Father's will and who are known of God will enter heaven. So what's the Father's will? You know, some men came to Jesus once with a question 
about what God required of them. They, and they asked him, what, what, what must we do to do the work God uh, works, God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That's John 6, 28 to 29. God wants us to have a, a, a faith in his son, and it says, furthermore, this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That's 1 John 3, 23. Those who are born again by faith in Christ, let, listen to this, will produce good works to the glory of God. See, a lot of people miss that second part. Let me read it again. It's Ephesians 2, 10. Those who are born again by faith in Christ will produce good works to the glory of God. So when Jesus said, I never knew you, to the pretend disciples, he meant that he never recognized them as his true disciples or his friends. He never had anything in common with them, nor approved of them. They were no relations of his. As in Mark 3, 34 to 35, and it states, and looking at, uh, about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of, the, of God... He is my brother and sister and mother. Okay? So Christ did not dwell in their hearts. Ephesians 3.17 So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, nor did they have his mind. You know, 1 Corinthians uh, Corinthians 2.16 For who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So in all these ways and more, Jesus never knew them. Note that Jesus is not breaking off the relationship here. There was never a relationship to break off. And despite the you know, extravagant words and dramatic you know, displays of religious uh, enthusiasm, they had no intimacy with Christ. So it turns out that what matters isn't so much that we know God on some level, but that God knows us. And as the Apostle Paul explained, whoever loves God is known by God. That's 1 Corinthians 8, 3, and it says, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. And you can also check out Galatians 4, 9, but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to, uh, to be once more? So the Lord knows who are his sheep. And he says it, John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. You know, those, those somber words, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Matthew 7, 23, King James Version. It shows that Jesus is indeed omniscient. That's all knowing, all seeing. So he did not, quote unquote, know them in the sense that he would if they were his followers, but he knew their hearts. They were full of iniquity. So what is iniquity, you ask? It's immorality. It's heinousness. It's evil. It's wickedness, sin. You know, these are all the traits that the Bible lists and more. And those that live and are, are this way will not inherit the kingdom. You know, Isaiah's condemnation of hypocrisy, uh, hypocrisy sorry, fits this group very well. And, and, and it says, these people come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That's Isaiah 29, 13. So the evildoers whom Jesus does not know are fake 
Christians. They're false teachers and, and minor advocates of religion. Those who are told to depart from the presence of the Lord will not take uh, partake of the blessings of the kingdom. As it says in Revelations 22, 15, outside of the dogs, those that practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the more uh, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood, they will be cast into the darkness where there, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, says Matthew 8, 12. So those fake Christians whom Jesus says he never knew will not produce the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 to 23 explains the fruit of the Spirit. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Rather, they will produce the opposite, the works of the flesh. Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness. Man, these all sound like me. Orgies, or who I was, sorry. And things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's no reading into that or in between that or there is no gray. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You can't spin that. Jesus warns that one day he will take, or sorry, he'll he'll tell a group of religious practitioners, I never knew you. And God, you know, it doesn't, he doesn't take delight in sending people to hell. It says so in 2 Peter 3, 9. It says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But those who are told to depart have rejected God's eternal purpose and plan for their life. And and, and it describes that in Luke 7.30. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. That's one example. They've rejected the light of the gospel. You know, 2 Corinthians 4.4. In their case, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, choosing the darkness instead because their deeds were evil. And again, John 3:19, and this is the judgment. So we we hear John 3:16. Let's talk about John 3:19 for a second here. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So at the at the judgment, they try to justify themselves as worthy of heaven on the basis of their works, you know, prophecies, exorcisms, miracles, etc. But but no one will be justified by his own works. Galatians 2.16, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So while claiming to do all these good works, right, in in Christ's name, they fail to do the only work of God that counts. 
to have faith in the one he sent. John 6, 29. And so Jesus, the, the righteous judge, condemns them to eternal separation from him. So here's the, I'm going to go a little a bit deeper. We're, we're almost done here. The meaning of depart from me, I never knew you. That's the one sentence. That's the, probably the worst sentence in, in the world. The, be, on the contrary, the best is well done, my good and faithful servant. So we always want to hear one. We never want to hear the other. And they dictate your eternal home. So the, the, the ESV, the English Standard Version, and other uh, modern Bibles, they divide Matthew 17 into like uh, the uh, subheadings, right? When you're reading the Bible. So, you know, judging others, asking will be given, the golden roll, a tree and its fruits, uh, I never knew you, build your house on the rock, the authority of Jesus. So Matthew 7, 21, 23 nestles between Jesus's instruction on about how to obey God and how to treat other people and signs that one is truly living in Christ. So the verse about a tree and its fruit, it's Matthew 7, 15 to 20. They're also echoed in, in John 15 where Jesus describes himself as the vine, right? And his father is the vine dresser. Those who love Jesus must abide in him fully. So we are a part of Christ as he sustains us, as, as branches rely on the vine in order to live. So without with you know without the benefit of hindsight which we have, the disciples didn't understand what it meant to abide in Christ via the Spirit, but Jesus was trying to teach them that the power to uh, rebu rebuke demons and heal sickness was not given to the disciples separate from Him. It was and 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 is still Jesus's power working through believers who rely on Him totally. So Jesus teaches that his power is all-encompassing. So if you can consider how Matthew 7, 21 to 23 rests between by their fruit, you will recognize them. And therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them is like a wise man who built his house on the rocks. That's Matthew 7, 20 and 24. So as the rock, he is mighty. His word is foundational and his disciples are changed by it. They change that we, they, we change inwardly, becoming more patient and kinder. They and we also grow from him like branches from a vine and can only live as part of that vine. Unbreakable rock, right? Sustaining vine. Our Savior is simultaneously powerful and at the same time tender. So growing fruit on the rock, and, and he provides a test for discerning believers. That's us. I hope that's us. So he provides a, a test for discerning believers. You'll recognize them, okay, false prophets, by their fruits because a diseased tree bears bad fruit. Believers can recognize one who is in Christ. I'm sure we all can. Hopefully we are one. And be assured of their own salvation by the same test for a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. That's Matthew 17, uh, 7, 15, 18. Disciples are tender towards those who need Jesus's power in their lives. And according to Apostle Paul, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's Galatians 5, 22 to 23. You'll know someone's heart by these signs. And Jesus makes a distinction between results and fruit. Right, He seeks a heart that is devoted to him, a relationship with other believers, and a real joy in worship. 
he's not interested in the mighty works of those who don't abide in him. One can accomplish great things in his in Jesus's name and abide in him as well, but great works alone don't prove that one is saved. He said, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Luke 10, 20. You know, Jesus frequently chooses the worst situations to show his power. And many of us can attest to that because that's where the, the power seems unlikely, even impossible. And it's commonly referred to as miraculous, right? He can work through anyone. <laughs> Paul says, if you know, if he, he can do it, anyone can be, you know, to that to that effect. I say the same thing. If God can save a wretch like me, he'll save anyone. In spite of that person's proclaimed belief, but joy comes with submitting to the one true God. And those who try to earn salvation, they worship their own ability, not Jesus's power. He is not foundational to their lives. Teachers who do not rest on the rock are false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. They proclaim Jesus, but inwardly they worship themselves. And not only do they offend God and risk damnation, and they also deceive the unguarded heart. I see it every day. It is possible to be misled, for example, by prosperity preachers or liberal uh, all roads lead to God preachers whose whose platforms are, are self-made distortions of gospel truth. So here's what it means for Jesus to know us. You will know them, the disciples, you and I, you will know them by their fruit or Jesus will say, I never knew you. There are multiple meanings for to know. One might recognize a person and say, I know him, or understand a concept and say, I know what that means. When one says, I know Jim, for example, he can know Jim as a close friend or as an acquaintance. So with a close uh, friendship, a deep kind of knowing is evident. Respect, honor, concern, love. These are all displayed when two people possess more than statistics, but hopes, struggles, dislikes, goals, dreams, hurts, and joys. The Bible features multiple meanings for to know as well. So Matthew 7.23 uses the Greek gnosko, which means to come to know, recognize, perceive. In Luke 13.25, Jesus uses the verb edo, or be aware, behold, consider, perceive. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Jesus, open to us, and then he will answer to you, I do not know where you come from. So in this, in this later verse, people ignored the gospel, they turned away from Jesus, and they didn't realize that they needed a savior. The evidence of God's power did not satisfy them and it'll be too late to change their minds once the door is closed. So in Matthew 7, Jesus' use of gnosko goes deeper. He talks about followers who accept him but do not perceive him correctly. They recognize his power. So do the demons. They recognize his power but not the depth of uh, the depths of it or the depths of their own immorality. And they hope to obtain power and, um, and authority for themselves by their, their connection to Christ. Jesus himself is not their greatest need and desire. 
is a person saved by calling on the name of God? John 15 is, is real helpful here. Calling on the name of the Lord and being saved means living in and for him. This is intimate, quote unquote, knowing. Taken out of context, one might build an incomplete picture in which all you have to do is cry out Jesus. But truly knowing Jesus, relying on him, is similar to abiding or remaining. How do we abide in Jesus? There's five features of abiding in Jesus, which all believers share. One is those who abide in Jesus bear good fruit. Good fruit stands in contrast to one's unique pre-salvation fruit. I'm a perfect example of that. The harvest of conflict, worry, or greed. You know, angry people are less inclined to fight with others and enjoy warm and peaceful relationships. Greedy individuals, uh, you know, covet money less and are more generous and, and warriors enjoy peace. You know, those who abide in Jesus keep his commandments. That's the second one. The two greatest of these are to worship God with one's entire being and to love others as ourselves. That's Matthew 22, 37 to 40. A life abiding in Christ is not perfect, but worship becomes deeper, uh, richer, more frequent, you know, central to one's life. Making worship central to your life feels like privilege, not drudgery. Three is those who abide in Christ. Jesus read his word and it comes alive. It is relevant, it's meaningful, and it's essential. Number four, those who abide in Jesus love well. They find themselves loving people who are hard to love. People who might not even love them back or he even reject and abuse them. Five, last but not least, those who abide in Jesus are joyful. Knowing the hope of Christ, that salvation awaits them, provides disciples, you and I, with pure joy when we face trials of many kinds, as it states in James 1-2. So in closing, my, my final statement is this. I've always lived by my motto of it's not what you know, it's what you do with what you know that matters. Which also goes hand in hand with done is better than perfect. And after all, he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. It's because done is better than perfect, which we will never be. So my final question to you is this. Do you know Jesus? And better still, does Jesus know you? So before we end today's show, I just want to thank you all again for tuning in. And I hope you were touched by today's message in scripture. I'd like to ask you a favor. Only if you received any value out of today's show, would you tell at least one person you know, just call them, text them, IM them, email them, Facebook them, Instagram them, whatever, talk to them. Tell them to give the show a listen. And you can check out the show at shaken-awake.com. Email me at ben at shakenawake.com or text me, call me, whatever, at 407 493 Again, it's 407-493-3208. If you have any ideas for the show, if you want to be on, if you know someone with a great testimony, let me know. I'd love to hear more. So would the listeners. So next week, tune in next Sunday or whenever you're able as we dive into another important topic, uh, which is persecution is at our doorstep. Are you prepared?
Next week's episode is another powerful and do not miss episode. Thank you all for joining. And until next week, take great care of your, yourself and each other. And God bless you all. Thank you.